Thank you, Kay. We at First Church would like to welcome you, our guests, and our radio listeners this morning. We hope during our time of worship, prayer, and learning, you feel the love of the Lord from which everything comes. The Giving Tree is up in the Heritage Room over here and benefits our Daily Bread Community Center in Lima. This afternoon, you're also invited to Christmas music as Sharon Cheney's piano students will present their Christmas recital here in First Church at 1 o'clock. And Sharon's smiling with smiles and hope you could all come and, and join and, and listen to them. This Wednesday night, the youth group students are headed to Elmwood in New Bremen to spend time with the residents there. Students, you need to be in the parking lot no later than 640. And on next Sunday, um, our morning worship will be hosted by the Confirmation. The Sunday school children don't miss a great morning of worship. Our kids, their teachers have been working hard to prepare a wonderful service for us. Uh, Tori Brightigan, our youth pastor, will share a message on joy. <clears throat> there will be refreshments in the Heritage Room following the service. Um, on a note of, of, of concern, of loss, uh, Dennis Hoey passed away on December 5th. <clears throat> he is the brother of Joyce, Ned, and Ted Hoey. Funeral services are on December 11th at Newcomer Funeral Home in Beaver Creek at 11 o'clock with visitation an hour prior to the funeral. And next, I'd like to invite Sharon Colson to come forward. Sharon has an update on Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes to share with us. Greetings to all of you shoebox packers, participants, and prayer warriors. As you know, Shannon and myself and my husband were on a Operation Christmas Child OCC Great Lakes bus trip. We left Monday morning and arrived back uh, around 8 o'clock last night. Our destination was Charlotte, North Carolina. It was a wonderful time. The OCC Great Lakes bus trip usually goes to Charlotte, though two years ago it went to Minneapolis. We typically take two buses, maximum of 110 people. This year we had 85. There are eight processing centers. New this year is Chicago, and 18 people from the Salina St. Mary's area went to Chicago and spent three days there. While processing, we were able to see boxes from Ohio and from our area. We, I, we came across some that were from Defiance and from the Archbold area. One person was fortunate enough to find her own church's shoeboxes, so that was really cool. We do have early registration underway. Also, it is possible to volunteer for one or two or three days. Um, with Chicago being open new this year, that certainly is something that you might consider rather than taking the entire bus trip like uh, OCC has done, like this particular group has done for the last 18 or 16 years. Excuse me. OCC, as I've shared before, is a great way to experience the miracles and God's provision. Charlotte alone had processed 1,000,000 
shoeboxes on Monday before we arrived, ready to pack, ready to start Tuesday morning. The boxes that we packed the four days we were there went to Burundi in East Africa, Madagascar, Ecuador, and Zimbabwe. On Tuesday alone in Charlotte, 53,441 boxes were processed. On Wednesday, 58,969. On Thursday, 74,625. On Friday, 57,261. That is over 1.5 million children that will learn about Jesus. And as I said before, I can't thank you all enough. Thank you, Sharon, on sharing with us update on the Christmas child shoeboxes and the impact that it's had and uh, your time and contributions from yourself and others in our community and around the world. Next, if you would uh, rise and join me in the call to worship. The call to worship is taken from Psalm number 29. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the floods. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with strength. The next we'll have our opening hymn, 133, Hark the Herald Angels Sing.
And now we'll have the lighting of the the Advent candle, the candle of peace. We gather around the Advent wreath today knowing that we are not perfect, that we all make mistakes and do bad things. Only Jesus obeyed God fully. Jesus helps us to live as God wants us to live. Jesus gives us peace. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We light this candle to proclaim the coming of the lighting of God into the world. With the coming of this light, there is peace, for Christ is called the Prince of Peace. Christ's name is also Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus gives us peace. John 14:27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Now let us pray. Eternal God, we thank you that through all of the years you have given peace to your people. Help us to have your peace in our lives. In this Advent season, we pray that you will help us shine the light of your presence to those around us so that they may also have peace. Amen. And now we'll have children chat. And as the children come forward, please share God's love with those near you. Good morning, everyone. Oh, Luke, you want to come down here? If you guys, there's some of you, you can come down here on this side. There's more room. Well, how are you guys this morning? Good. Wow. Have you seen this church? What's it decorated like? Christmas? My goodness, aren't these trees gorgeous? Look at all the garland up here and everything. Wow. Well, I think the church is beautifully decorated for the Christmas season, but I have brought a tree for us to decorate this morning, okay? So who has my gold ornament? Who has my gold one? Oh, you have it. There you go. Well, our gold ornament right here is to represent in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, it tells us that gold is like the streets of heaven. The streets of heaven are paved in gold, and gold is very, very valuable. Who has my green ornament? Thanks, Luke. Green is kind of like this tree. Actually, it is exactly like this tree. This tree and this tree and trees that you see outside grow nice and big and tall. And green on our Christmas tree is going to represent growing in Christ. Who has my white ornament? Who has my white ornament? Oh, thanks, Ben. White is going to represent purity, and this is going to represent God forgiving our sins. Who has my red ornament? 
Thank you, Leah. Now, can anybody tell me who died on the cross? Jesus. Jesus. This red ornament is going to be how God forgave us of our sins because Jesus shed his blood on the cross for you and for me and for everyone in this room, for everyone on the radio, and for everyone across the world. Who has my blue ornament? Thank you. Our blue ornament is going to represent that Jesus is our Savior and our King. Who has our dark color ornament? Thank you. Our darkness is our dark ornament is going to represent the sins of the world because we are all sinners in need of God's grace. Okay? How's our tree looking? Good. Do you think it's done? No. Well, what's it missing? Star. Star? Look, our, our trees have angels. Some have stars. Well, who has my star? Thank you. Our star is going to represent Matthew 5, verse 16, where it says, Let God's light shine bright through you for all to see. Now, how does it look? Good. Good. Well, just like we have decorated this tree, just like you have decorated the church, your parents have decorated and maybe you have helped decorate your homes, this is preparation for Christmas. Kind of similar to us hanging lights, buying gifts, and singing songs. But now, with decorating our tree with this in what we represent, the streets of heaven, growing in Christ, our sins being forgiven, God's blood shed on the cross for you and for me, Jesus being our Savior and our King and taking away all of the sins of the world, and us being the light of the world by letting Jesus live in our hearts and shining out through us, we now have the true meaning of Christmas. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for bringing us your son. Thank you, Jesus, for your love that you give us each and every day. May we not forget the true meaning of Christmas, your birth, this Christmas season. Amen. Lost in our service in Minnesota in a Black Hawk crash, Chief Warrant Officer, Second Class James A. Rogers, Jr., 28, from Winstead, Minnesota. Chief Warrant Officer, Second Class Charles P. Nord, 30, from Perham, Minnesota. Sergeant Court M. Plattenberg, 28, from Avon, Minnesota. In Texas, Staff Sergeant Ryan Lee Blair, 23, from Abilene, Texas. In Virginia, Master at Arms Second Class, I'm sorry, Master at Arms Third Class, Oscar Tamoris, 23, 
Flamore, California, and at NAS Pensacola, Florida, Ensign Joshua Caleb Watson, 23, from Coffey, Alabama, Airman Mohammed Sama Hatam, 19, from St. Petersburg, Florida, Airman Apprentice Cameron Scott Walters, 21, from Richmond Hill, Georgia. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Lord God, it's with heavy hearts that we remember those who have lost loved ones recently. So we're reminded with, uh, with what Jay just shared with us, uh, there's always the, as well as the loss of other loved ones in our own community, in our own families, Lord, we're reminded that, that many people struggle this time of year with the holidays and the memories of those that they have, that they have lost. I pray, Lord, for strength and comfort for those families that have, are dealing with the pain of, of the loss of a loved one recently. Lord, we pray for your peace, which is our theme this morning. Lord, a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that, that does not make sense from the world's perspective, but a peace that can come only from you and from the, the trusting and believing in the promises that you've made us in your word and from knowing you, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior. I pray it is that peace that sustains and blesses those, Lord, who mourn at this time. Lord, I pray that the, the hope we find in you, the, the, the joy of a, of a newborn child in a manger, who is our King and our Savior, would, would uh, be our strength and be our focus this time of year. I thank you, Lord, that you have made this possible for us through Jesus Christ, that it is his birth and ultimately his death and his resurrection that has made us your people. We are gathered here this morning for no other reason than to praise you and to worship you this day. And we gather with not just those here in this place, but all those that are listening on the radio, all of your church, Lord, who are gathered this morning and and places here in the United States as well as around the world with one voice to lift up our praises to you, uh, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, help us to remember that, especially this time of year. Help us to be in fellowship with your church and, uh, and keep that as our, as our focus and our strength um, going forward over these next several weeks. Lord, we do pray for those who are, who are in need in our own communities, Lord, in, in ways that we may not even know or understand. We lift them up to you. Lord, we may not know, but, but we fully believe and trust that you do. You know our, our, our very needs. You know our very thoughts, Lord, even. You know the number of hairs on our head, your word says. And so you know exactly what is needed uh, with the names that are represented in our bulletin as well as our other, other friends and coworkers and neighbors that we know who are in need. We lift them up to you and pray that your will would be done, trusting and believing that your will is ultimately what's best for us. Lord, we entrust ourselves to your care and to your mercy. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This time I invite you to stand, if you're able, and sing with us number 393, Near My God to Thee. Near 
monitors aren't on up here. I'm like, oh, okay. Time.
And you may be seated. Our offering this morning is going to support the Salvation Army in Lima. I invite you to pray with me for God's blessing on the offering at this time. Lord God, we thank you that we are able to give back to you, Lord, in this way. We thank you that we're able to worship you not just with our our prayers, our, our, our voices, but also, Lord, in our giving. And so I pray now that as we collect this offering this morning, that you would bless it, that you would use it, Lord, to further your kingdom and provide for uh, the, the ministry of the Salvation Army in Lima. We pray not only would you provide for them financially through this offering, but that our prayers and, and that uh, they would be, uh, that our prayers would be lifted up to them, to you as well. Lord, for their, for their ministry. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time.
Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The fruit of the spirit will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and the breath of his lips will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we have gathered here this morning as your people uh, to sing your praises and now to, to open up your word together. I pray that as we do so this morning, as we take a look at what your word has to say to us on the sec- second day of Advent, that you would give me words to speak and that you'd open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this morning. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning simply just by asking you a question. What brings you peace? What is it in your life, whether it, maybe, it's a, maybe it's another person, maybe it's a, a certain activity, for some it may just be a, a place to go to, but what is it that brings you peace? And, and, and why is that thing so important or so special to you? Peace is very elusive in our world today, isn't it? Peace is not, not just from a, a global standpoint of, of wars and conflicts, but from a personal standpoint as well. We, we fill our lives, we're so busy, we're, there's so much going on that we hardly pause and, and reflect on what brings us peace, what, we, what, what, what it is in our lives that, that helps us to stay grounded. It's a whole, whole other conversation or a whole other sermon, but, but we have a hard time just pausing and resting, don't we? It's the reason why God gives us the commandment, uh, one of the Ten Commandments is to keep the Sabbath day holy, right? Because God knows that, that left to ourselves and left to our own priorities, we're going to get things all out of whack, and we're going to find a million other things to do besides rest. But God's command for, for Sabbath rest, and, and I believe ultimately God's command for peace, as we're going to be talking about here today, is not just stopping, to, resting is not just stopping or ceasing all of our activity. Peace is not only or simply the, the absence of conflict or the absence of, of uh, struggle or, or things that, that disrupt our peace, but, it's, but true rest, true peace is found in Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. He is our our King who will bring about a a peaceful reign. 
See, when Jesus was born, there were some wise men who came to seek him out. And they didn't just seek a child in a manger. They didn't just seek a newborn. They sought the king of the Jews. They came from the east looking for this one who was born to be the king of the Jews. When they arrived in, in uh, Jerusalem, they stopped at to talk with King Herod. And of course, the king was not too pleased to hear this news, right? The news of, of a new king who had come, uh, struck, you know, with, with only the things of this world in mind and things of this earth, right? There's a power conflict set up there, right? If King Herod is king and there is a new person born to be king, there's going to be conflict, right? You can't have two kings of Israel. And so, but, but what we see here that, that the birth of Jesus sets the stage for an ongoing tension, not between King Jesus and King Herod, because King Herod would not be on the scene for too much longer, but between Jesus, our rightful king, and our enemy, Satan, the kingdom, between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world, constantly competing for our attention, constantly competing for, uh, for our allegiance. In fact, as Jesus grew and, and, and lived out his ministry and performed miracles, eventually he was arrested and, of course, executed on a cross. And over that cross was a sign that said, the King of the Jews, right? What seemed like uh, the end of Jesus' impact, the end of his ministry, was truly just the beginning. You see, as, we, as, as Maria just read for you from Isaiah 11, the hope of a of that messianic king, the hope of his kingdom was not a new one found in Jesus, but it was, it was echoing these ancient prophecies and these ancient longings for a king, for not just an earthly king, but a, a, a heavenly king, one who would reign with true peace and true justice and true righteousness. See, the, the longing for a king went all the way back to the days of, of the prophet Samuel and, and first Samuel. This is coming out of the period of the judges when God would raise up leaders and to, to guide God's people through their conflicts and through times of, of trouble and disobedience. And eventually God's people got tired of that system. They wanted a king just like all the other nations, a king just like everyone else. And in First Samuel, uh, God, God relents. He says, he says, all right, I'll give you a king, but I'll tell you what that king's going to be like. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your sons and daughters to serve the kingdom. Uh, he's going to take your first fruits of your fields and first fruits of your labors and take them for himself. He tells them what a, an earthly king will be like. And that's the kind of kings that they had from Saul through David and Solomon all the way down through to the end of the Davidic line. You see, God's people, and when David was living, God gave David a promise that one day uh, one of his descendants would reign forever, that God would establish his throne for all time. But unfortunately, that, that Davidic line was cut off, right? God's people went into exile. They were, they were conquered by Assyria and then Babylon and, and sent into exile. And from that point on until uh, through the birth of Jesus, there was no king in Jerusalem, no king of of Israel, of course, but they were they were kings or they were rulers of foreign being ruled by foreign powers. And Isaiah 11 speaks to that. 11 verse 1: A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse; from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. You see, this Jesse was the father of David, and so Isaiah here is speaking to that hope of a king, not an earthly king, not one that ruled like all the other nations, but a true, righteous, and good king. In 1 Samuel, God lists 
all the things that, that earthly kings will do and all of the, the trouble they will bring. But here in Isaiah 11, he lists all of the, the good and wonderful attributes of the true messianic king. The Davidic line was cut off, but here God promises that a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. A tree that has been, that has been cut off is as good as dead. Right? It's just a stump in the ground. But God promises new life will come out of that. And that new life, of course, was born in a manger some 2,000 years ago. And so Jesus is our king, not just, just not the one that we expected. As I mentioned already, the cross, what seemed like the moment of utter defeat for Jesus and his kingdom, was in fact the moment of his ultimate victory. It was in the cross, through his death and his resurrection, that God's kingdom was finally established. And it's his kingdom that will bring us peace. Peace that we can experience in part in this life, but in its fullness when Christ returns to establish his kingdom for eternity. And that peace comes in three different forms, and that's what I want to talk about today. Isaiah 11 talks about how we can have peace with God, peace with each other, and finally also peace with ourselves. So first, peace with God. Jesus is our perfect king. I want to read to you again, beginning verse 2 through verse 5. And I just want to hear how this king is described. It says that the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. In justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Notice there how how this king is described. He's described as being one that, that the Spirit of the Lord rests upon. Jesus, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, walked into the synagogue one day for, for worship in Luke chapter 4. And, and he takes the scroll, the, the reading for that day, Jesus took it, and it was from the prophet Isaiah, and he read about how the Spirit of the Lord would be upon God's anointed one to do justice, to set the captives free, to bring sight to the blind. And Jesus puts the scroll back in its place. He sits down and he says, and now today... You have seen this passage fulfilled. Jesus recognized that, that through him, all of those prophecies, all of the hope of Israel was found in him. And Jesus, on the day of his baptism in the Jordan River, stood in the water and, and the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him like a dove. The Spirit truly rested in Christ. He's described as one with wisdom. Wisdom being you know, the general capacity to have right judgment about things. To discern what is right and what is wrong. Understanding to see to the heart of an issue, not just get caught up in the surface level of things, but to see truly what is going on. Counsel, the ability to devise the right course of action and power, the ability to then carry that out. This righteous king will have knowledge and not just information, but true personal experiential knowledge of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, moral concern, obedience, loyalty and worship of the Lord. See, the problem with so many of Israel's kings is that they had lost sight of what it meant to truly know and, and follow the Lord. They led their people astray with false worship of false gods. And it was often their, it was their moral and their spiritual fa- failures that led to all the other problems that God's people experienced 
during, the, during that time. But this king, King Jesus, would not be like that. He would be the true embodiment of what it means to be wise and understanding and have good counsel and power and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Who, who wouldn't want a king like that? Think about it. A true, just, and righteous king. One who does what is right and, and does what is right, not out of concern about being reelected, but out of concern for the Lord and what it truly is the right thing to do. Right? Forget Republicans and Democrats. That, that's the kind of ruler that I want to vote for next year. Right? No president, no political party, no law or constitutional amendment is ever going to bring about the peace that we need. What we truly need is King Jesus to be the ruler of our hearts and our minds and our lives. It says here that he will judge with righteousness, faithfulness, and justice. Right? He will right all of the wrongs that we have done in this world. Evil will finally be defeated. And it says here that he's going to do it with the breath of his lips, with the word of his mouth, which here echoes God's power and his authority. Think back to how God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1. He spoke them into being. And looking forward in Revelation 19, as, as Jesus will finally, as the, as the righteous king, defeat the enemy once and for all, he does it with the word of his mouth. See, God's word is powerful, and, and it, is, it, is, uh, it speaks to his sovereignty and the truth of his word. But if that's the king, if he's the righteous king who will judge with faithfulness and justice, then who can stand? Right? If he's going to right all of the wrongs in this world, we need to also recognize that there's a whole lot of wrong within each one of us, isn't there? Myself included. Right? We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Romans 3 teaches us that, that uh, there is no one righteous, not even one. That we're all in the same boat. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I want to read to you Psalm 15. Psalm 15 speaks this very issue as well. It says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one who walk, whose walk is blameless, who does what is right, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind who lends money to the poor without an interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. I don't know about you, but I read a passage like that, and I think if that's who's able to stand in the presence of the Lord, I'm in trouble. Right? If that's what it means to, to earn our place in God's kingdom, then, then I'm going to fall short, and so are you. Because none of us can perfectly do that. The only one who is perfectly been perfectly obedient to God and all of his commandments and all of his ways is, of course, Jesus. None of us can stand in our own power before the Lord. So if that's the case, then if we are all sinners in need of a Savior, then we need a righteousness that is not our own to redeem us, to save us. We need to be made new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 tells us all about that says that for those that are in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. We are a new creation. And that God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. Right? I love that, that word reconciling. Bringing together what had been previously separated. That's what God has done for us in Christ. And he, he is making us new creations. And in Philippians 3, Paul describes that it's not because of anything we've done. It's not because of our own righteousness, but it comes through faith. In Christ. I want to read Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. 
Paul writes to us, but whatever gains were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. See, God will come to judge the living and the dead. God will come to right all of the wrongs that have taken place on the earth. But for Christians, for those that have put their faith in Christ, that judgment has already taken place. That verdict has already been rendered. And it's been rendered based on the the obedience and the sacrifice of Christ and not our own sin. That's the good news of the gospel is that that judgment has already taken place and it was on Christ at the cross that that happened. And because of, because of him, because he took our penalty upon himself, we are now free. We are now free to live for him. We are now, uh, we have the, the, been made new and been brought into the family of God. True peace, you see, is not the absence of conflict. It's, it's not based on external circumstances. And it's not based on how we can make peace for ourselves. If it were, we could never truly be at peace because circumstances will always change and they're certainly out of our control. See, true peace comes from the knowledge that we are safe and secure, not in ourselves, but in Christ. The very thing, everything else can be stripped away, but our salvation is secure because salvation belongs to the Lord. It's not about the size of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves us. And so we can truly have peace with God because of Jesus, our righteous King. We can have peace with others. The Isaiah passage goes on to describe these animals that that are living at peace with one another, predators and prey lying down in peace. With Christ as our King, we can now experience peace with one another. His kingdom is, is an already but not yet kingdom. We can live as citizens of the kingdom in this world even if it, we don't, even if as we await its full arrival. We no longer have to live in fear or violence or danger. Our former enemies will, former enemies will now live at peace with one another. These animals you see are, not, are, are symbolic of the change that takes place in our human nature. As we put our trust in Christ, we are transformed from the inside out. So we are no longer ruled by those things, but we can experience the peace of Christ with God and with each other. See, God has made us one in Christ. In Ephesians 2, it talks about how, how God and Christ takes two people that have been separated, that have been divided, and makes them one because he is our peace. Those that were once separated, those that were, that, that were once far off, are now brought near in Christ and made one in him. See, that's the hope we have. That's how we can live at peace with one another is not focusing on our differences, not focusing on on the things that drive us apart, but by focusing on the one thing that brings us together. And that is the the love of Christ, the hope that we have in him. See, it's about changing our perspective and changing our priorities. If Christ is our peace, if he has torn down the dividing wall of hostility, then, then we need to focus on him and on that truth and not the differences that we have as believers, and certainly not the differences that we as believers have with an unbelieving world. See, I believe that something amazing happens when you realize that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, that we're all in the same boat together. Our perspective changes, and we see people not from our perspective, 
but through the lens of God, through his eyes. So I want to encourage you this day, for those that you are struggling with, for the person in your life that does not bring you peace, I encourage you to pray for them this day. Ask God to help you see them as he sees them. Because that's going to change your whole perspective on the situation. It may not resolve the conflict. It may not, may not change a whole lot on the, from, your, from uh, an external perspective, but it will certainly change how, how you handle the situation internally. Matthew 6.33 reminds us that as, as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to us as well. As we make seeking and serving the Lord our number one priority, everything else will fall into place. So we have peace with God, we have peace with others, we also have peace with ourselves. There's this one line in here, verse 7, it says, The lion will eat straw like the ox. Such a strange statement, right? Nowadays, right, if you, biologically speaking, the lions, they can't eat straw. They're not herbivores, right? They can't handle that. Their system will not process that. But it says here that, that that will be the case. Again, he's not speaking about biology or, or physiological anatomy of, of lions here. He's talking about the change that takes place internally. As we put our trust in Christ, as we make him king and seek out his peace, he will change us from the inside out and our nature, our very nature will change. We won't be like our old selves. We'll operate under new circumstances. We'll operate under new priorities. We'll be, whether you call it being born again, being a new creation, dying to self and living with Christ, those are all biblical examples talking about, or biblical terminology to talk about the same thing. Whatever you want to call it, experiencing God, peace with God cannot leave you unchanged. You are transformed from the inside out. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is no longer any condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We have been forgiven, we have been set free, and we need to truly believe that and live it out for ourselves. So many of us, we struggle with sin over and over and over again, right? It's a continuous battle that we will face for the rest of our lives. We have been made new, and yet we are still sinners who need to depend on God's grace each and every day. But we also need to believe and trust in his promises and and quit holding on to the sin in your life that God has already forgiven you for in Christ. The The Psalms promise that God will cast our sin into the depths, excuse me, it's Mike, uh, prophet Micah promises that God will cast our sin into the depths of the sea. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. It's a pretty profound statement. The ocean is really deep. The average depth of the ocean worldwide is over 2.6 miles, excuse me, 2.3 miles. That is really deep. In fact, the, most, the deepest part of the ocean is, is a place called the Mar- Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean that is an astounding 6.8 miles deep. Just think about that. So deep that no humans can possibly travel to it. We'll, we'll literally be crushed under the weight of the water. Scientists have, have explored the surface of the moon to greater detail than we have the depths of the ocean because it is just so deep and so hard to access. And that's exactly what God says he will do. He will cast our sins to the depths of the sea, to no place that we could ever retrieve them again. That's a pretty profound statement of forgiveness, isn't it? But do we truly believe that? I think to experience true peace with God, with others, with ourselves, we need to truly believe and understand that we are forgiven. 
We need to really buy into what Tim Keller calls the freedom of self-forgetfulness. One of the greatest enemies to our peace is our own pride. And so the key to peace, the key uh, the, key, the key to peace with self and, and for true contentment and joy in this world is, is to quit comparing ourselves to others and to not judge ourselves, but to truly believe and trust in God's promises. I want to read First uh, Corinthians chapter 4 for you as, as we close out our time together here today. First Corinthians chapter four says this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries of the gospel. God has revealed now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes and he'll bring the light what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. See, Paul here says that the key to true peace is, is trusting and believing in God's promises, right? Not comparing ourselves to others in their situations and not even judging ourselves, right? Because we can really play the game of self-condemnation, don't we? can't we? But instead to, to trust and believe in God's judgment and in God, the promises of God's word, And what does God's word promise us? That we are forgiven. That we have been made right with God through the blood of Christ. And that is the promise that we must hold on to. That is the peace, where true peace comes from. And as Romans 8 reminds us, that if God is for us, who can be against us? If God has forgiven us, who is going to condemn us? For nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have brought us peace. We thank you that in Christ we are forgiven. We are made right with you, with each other, and with ourselves. Help us now to truly live, Lord, in that way. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand and sing with us number 124, Come, Thou Long-Expected Jesus.
hear these words from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, as we close our service today. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You may go in peace. Amen.